0: Lesson 14 for December 24 through to 30 Some Lessons from Job Sabbath Afternoon, December 24 Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are at a very special time of the year right now. And on this Sabbath we start the last lesson in the series on the book of Job. And as we do so, we've come to learn lessons. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will guide us. That in our families and in our personal lives, we may take the lessons we've learnt from Job and make this world a better place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is James chapter 5 and verse 11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Let's read that again, James 5.11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. We've come to the end of this quarter's study on Job. Though we might have covered much in the book, we must admit that there's still much more to cover, much more to learn. Of course, even in the secular world, everything we learn and discover simply leads to more things to learn and to discover. And if it's like that with atoms, stars, jellyfish and math equations, how much more so with the Word of God? As Ellen White wrote in Education, page 170, We have no reason to doubt God's Word, because we cannot understand the mysteries of His providence. In the natural world, we are constantly surrounded with wonders beyond our comprehension. Should we then be surprised to find in the spiritual world also mysteries that we cannot fathom? The difficulty lies solely in the weakness and narrowness of the human mind. Yes, mysteries remain, especially in the book Like Job, where many of life's most difficult questions are raised. Nevertheless, we will look at some lessons we can take away from this story that can help us, like Job, to be faithful to the Lord amid a world of troubles. Sunday, December 25 By faith and not by sight Question, read Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 and Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18 What crucial truths are revealed in these texts? How can these truths help us as we seek to be faithful followers of the Lord? Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 reads For we walk by faith not by sight. And Second Corinthians 4.18 reads, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The immediate context of 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18, that last verse we just read, is eschatological, talking about the end times, when we are clothed in immortality, a great promise that we don't yet see fulfilled. That's a promise we have to take by faith and not by sight, because it hasn't come to pass yet. Likewise, the book of Job shows us that there's so much more to reality than what we can see. This should not, though, be so difficult a concept for people living in our day and age to grasp, not when science has revealed the existence of unseen forces all around us. A preacher stood up before a church in a large city. He asked the congregation to be quiet. For a few seconds there was no sound. He then pulled out a radio and turned it on. Running the dial across the channels, all sorts of sounds came out of the radio, Let me ask, the preacher said, where did these sounds come from? Did they originate in the radio itself? No, these sounds were in the air all around us as radio waves, waves just as real as my voice is now. But the way we are wired, we don't have access to them. But the fact that we can't see or feel or hear them doesn't mean that they don't exist, right? Question. What other real things that we can't see, such as radiation or gravity, exist around us? What spiritual lessons can we draw from the fact that these unseen forces not only exist, but can impact our lives? As the book of Job showed, none of the people involved really grasped what was going on. They believed in God and even had some understanding about God and His character and creative power – But outside the bare facts of reality that they could see, that is, Job's calamity, they didn't have a clue as to what was happening behind the scenes. In the same way, might we not at times be as clueless as to the unseen realities around us? The book of Job, then, teaches us that we need to learn to live by faith, realising our weakness and just how little we really see and no. Monday, December 26th. evil being. One of the great questions that has challenged human's thinking deals with evil. Though some philosophers and even religionists have denied the existence of evil or think we should at least abandon the term, most people would disagree. Evil is real. It's a part of this world. Though we can argue over what is or is not evil, most of us, to paraphrase a US Supreme Court justice in another context, knew it when we saw it. Evil is sometimes put into two broad classes, natural and moral. Natural evil is defined as the kind that arises from natural disasters, such as when earthquakes or floods or pestilences bring suffering. Moral evil results from deliberate actions of other human beings, such as murder or robbery. All sorts of theories, ancient and modern, attempt to account for the existence of evil. As Seventh-day Adventists, we believe that the Bible teaches that evil originated in the fall of a created being, Satan. The popular culture, aided by materialistic philosophical speculations, has denied the idea of Satan. But one can do so only by rejecting the clear testimony of Scripture, which depicts Satan as a real being out to do humans as much harm as possible. This is a truth especially revealed in the book of Job. Question. Read Job chapter 1 verse 1 to Job chapter 2 verse 8. How do these two chapters help us to understand the role of Satan in the evil that's so prevalent in the world? Let's have a look at Job chapter 1 and verse 1 and there onwards. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were seven thousand sheep, three thousand camels, five hundred yoke of oxen, five hundred female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And his sons would go out and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person." So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brothers' houses, and a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were ploughing, and the donkeys feeding beside them, when the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has he will give for his life, but stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head and he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. In Job's case, Satan was directly responsible for the evil, both moral and natural, that fell upon this man. But what we see in the book of Job doesn't necessarily mean that every example of evil or suffering is directly related to demonic activity. The fact is, as with the characters in the book of Job, we just don't know all the reasons for the terrible things that happen. In fact, the name of Satan never even came up in the dialogues regarding Job's misfortunes. The speakers blame God, they blame Job, but never Satan himself. Nevertheless, the book of Job should show us who is responsible in the end for the evil on the earth. So to finish the day, What do the following texts tell us about the reality of Satan? And we're going to look at quite a few. First of all, there's Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. And Matthew 4.10. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. And Matthew thirteen thirty nine. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. And Luke chapter 8 and verse 12. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. And Luke chapter 13, verse 16 So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And Luke chapter 22 in verse 3 then satan entered judas surnamed iscariot who was numbered among the 12 and luke 22:31 and the lord said simon simon indeed satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat and Acts chapter 5 and verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? And First Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. More important, what examples do you have of Satan's influence in your life? How can you be protected against him? Tuesday, December 27, with friends like these. All through the book of Job, the three and then four men who came to speak to Job did so with good motives. They had heard what had happened to him, and they came to mourn with him and to comfort him, as it said in Job 2.11. However, after Job first started speaking, bemoaning the tragedies that befell him, they apparently felt that it was more important for them to put Job in his place— and set his theology straight, than it was to encourage and uplift the spirits of this suffering friend. Time after time, they got it all wrong. But suppose they had gotten it all right. Suppose all these things came upon Job because he had deserved them. They might have been theologically correct, but so what? Did Job need correct theology? Or did he need something else entirely? question. Read John chapter 8 verses 1 through to 11. What did Jesus reveal here that these men were greatly lacking? John 8 beginning at verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, This woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you... Let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up, and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. In this story, there is a major difference between the woman taken in adultery and her accusers on the one hand, and Job and his accusers on the other. The woman was guilty. Though she might have been less guilty of sin than those accusing her, there was never a question of her guilt whatever the mitigating circumstances. In contrast, Job was not guilty, at least in the sense of guilt that his accusers had claimed for him. But even if he had been guilty like this woman, what Job needed from these men was what this woman needed, and what all suffering people need, grace and forgiveness. Ellen White writes in The Desire of Ages, page 462. In his act of pardoning this woman and encouraging her to live a better life, the character of Jesus shines forth in the beauty of perfect righteousness. While he does not palliate sin, nor lessen the sense of guilt, he seeks not to condemn, but to save. The world had for this erring woman only contempt and scorn. But Jesus speaks words of comfort and hope. End of quote. What the book of Job should teach us is that we need to give others what we would like were we in their shoes. There is surely a time and place for rebuke, for confrontation, but before we consider taking on that role, we need to remember humbly and meekly that we are sinners ourselves. So to finish today, how can we learn more compassion for those who are suffering even suffering from their own wrong courses of action. Wednesday, December 28. More than thorns and thistles. As we all know, and some know too well, life is hard. Right at Eden, after the fall, we were given some hints on how hard it would be. When the Lord let our first parents know what some of the results of their transgression would be in Genesis chapter 3, verses 16-24. to To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. But thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife... The Lord God made tunics of skin, and clothed them. Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live for ever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. These were just hints, though. After all, if the only challenges we face in life were thorns and thistles, human existence would be radically different from how it is today. We look around and what do we see but suffering, sickness, poverty, war, crime, depression, pollution and injustice? The historian of antiquity, Herodotus, wrote about a culture in which people mourned, yes mourned, when a baby was born, because they knew the inevitable sorrow and suffering that the child would face were he or she to reach adulthood. Seems morbid, but who can refute the logic? In the book of Job, though, there is a message for us about the human condition. As we saw, Job could be deemed a symbol of all humanity, in that all of us suffer, often in ways that just don't seem fair, that don't seem appropriate to whatever sins we have all inevitably committed. It wasn't fair to Job, and it's not fair to us. And yet, in all of this, what the book of Job can say to us is that God is there – God knows, and God promises that it doesn't all have to be for nothing. Secular writers, atheist writers, struggle to come to terms with the meaninglessness of a life that ends forever in death. They struggle and struggle for answers and yet come up with nothing, because this life, in and of itself, offers nothing. There's an atheistic philosophy called nihilism, from a Latin word nihil, which means nothing. Nihilism teaches that our world and our lives in the world mean nothing. The book of Job, though, points us to a transcendent reality beyond the nihil that our mortal lives threaten us with. It points us to God, to a realm of existence from which we can draw hope. It tells us that all that happens to us does not happen in a vacuum. But there is a God who knows all about what is happening, a God who promises to make it all right one day. Whatever grand questions the book of Job leaves unanswered, it doesn't leave us with nothing in our hands but the ashes of our lives. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3, and verse 19. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return." But Job 2.8 says, And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Instead, it leaves us with the hope of hopes, the hope of something beyond what's presented to our immediate senses. And so to finish today, what Bible text explicitly say that we have a great hope that transcends anything this world offers? We've got two to look at here. First of all, Hebrews 11, verse 10, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And Revelation 21, verse 2, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. December 29, Jesus and Job Bible students through the ages have sought to find parallels between the story of Job and the story of Jesus, and though Job is not exactly a type of Jesus, as were the animals in the sacrificial system, some parallels do exist. In these parallels we can find another lesson from Job, that of what our salvation cost the Lord. Question Compare Job Chapter One and Verse one with 1 John two one James five six and acts three fourteen What parallels are there Job one one there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil, and 1 John two and verse one. My little children, these things I write to you, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And James 5, 6. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. And Acts 3 and verse 14. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you question read matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through to 11 what parallels exist here between jesus and job matthew 4 beginning at verse 1 then jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward he was hungry now when the tempter came to him he said if you are the son of god command that these stones become bread but he answered and said It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him question read matthew twenty six verse sixty one luke eleven fifteen and sixteen and john eighteen verse thirty how do these texts parallel the experience of job matthew twenty six sixty one reads and said this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And Luke, chapter 11, verses 15 to 16. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others testing him, sought from him a sign from heaven. And John 18, verse 30. They answered and said to him, If he were not an evil doer, he would not have delivered him up to you. Question Compare Job one twenty two with Hebrews four fifteen What parallel exists? First of all, Job one twenty two in all this Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong and Hebrews four fifteen for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. These texts do reveal interesting parallels between the experiences of Job and Jesus. Job, of course, was not sinless, as was Jesus. Nevertheless, he was a faithful and righteous man whose life brought glory to the Father. Job was sorely tested by the devil, as was Jesus. All through the book of Job, Job was falsely accused. Jesus, too, faced false accusations. Finally, and perhaps most important, despite all that happened, Job stayed faithful to the Lord. Much more consequently for us all, Jesus stayed faithful as well. Despite everything that happened to him, Jesus lived a sinless life, one that perfectly embodied the character of God. Jesus was, as it says in Hebrews 1.3, the express image of his, that's God's, person and thus alone had the righteousness needed for salvation. As we read in Romans 3.22, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. As great as it all was, Job, his suffering, and his faithfulness amid the suffering, was a small and imperfect reflection of what Jesus, his Redeemer, would face in Job's behalf and in ours, when he will indeed come and, as it says in Job 19.25, stand at the latter day upon the earth. Friday, December 30. Through the centuries, the book of Job has thrilled, enlightened, and challenged readers in Judaism, Christianity, and even Islam, which has its own variant of the biblical account. We say challenged because, as we have seen, in and of itself the book leaves many questions unanswered. On one level, this shouldn't be so surprising. After all, from Genesis to Revelation, what book of the Bible doesn't leave questions unanswered? Even taken as a whole, the Bible doesn't answer every issue that it raises. If the topics it covers, the fall of humanity and the plan of salvation, are subjects that we will be studying throughout eternity, how could one finite book of it, even one inspired by the Lord, Answer everything for us now. The book of Job, though, doesn't stand alone. It's part of a much greater picture revealed in the Word of God. And as part of a grand spiritual and theological mosaic, it presents us with a powerful message, one with universal appeal, at least for all the followers of God. And that message is faithfulness amid adversity. Job is a living example of Jesus' own words in Matthew 24.13, He who endures to the end shall be saved. What believer in Jesus, seeking to do right, hasn't at times faced inexplicable wrong? What believer in Jesus, seeking to be faithful, hasn't faced challenges to faith? What believer in Jesus seeking comfort hasn't faced accusations instead? And yet the book of Job presents us with an example of someone who, facing all this and more, maintained his faith and integrity. And as by faith and by grace we trust in the one who died on the cross for Job and for us, the message to us is, from Luke 10.37, Go and do likewise. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. One, place yourself in the mind of a Jew who, knowing the book of Job, lived before the coming of Jesus. What questions do you think that person might have that we today, living after Jesus, don't have? That is, how does the story of Jesus and what he has done for us help us better understand the book of Job? Two, When you get to meet Job, what might be the first question you ask him, and why? And three, what are some questions and issues that the book of Job touched on that we didn't cover in this quarter? And finally, question four, what was the main spiritual concept that you got from this study of Job? Share your answers with your class. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Finding Spiritual Meaning, and it's by Vojtek Pekarik. I grew up in Kozic in Slovakia, a city in the easternmost part of the former Czechoslovakia. When I was 15, my parents divorced, my mother moved to Prague, while I remained with my father. I wanted to be considered cool in high school, so at age 16 I began to smoke and drink. Soon I realised that these drugs left me emptier than before, and I began looking around for something that would really satisfy me. Our neighbours were quite religious, and when my mother came to visit us, she stayed with this family. They invited us to go to some of their meetings. I began to realise that God does exist and that He loves and cares about me. When my father realised that I was seriously interested in religion, he directed me to the family's traditional belief in Catholicism. He arranged for me to take classes from the priest, and I began attending Mass every Sunday. A few weeks later, I noticed a poster advertising a Bible study group that was forming in our neighbourhood. For several months, I attended both the Bible studies in my neighbourhood and the doctrinal classes at the Catholic Church. The priest heard about the Bible studies and forbade his parishioners to attend. He threatened that anyone who attended the Bible studies would be excommunicated. But I liked the interesting Bible study sessions. We were encouraged to follow the Bible rather than the teachings of a church, any church. The pastor spoke of the true biblical church. I didn't know such a church existed and asked the pastor to tell us which church believed these principles. He told us it was the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I had heard the name. In the previous meeting, we had discussed the Sabbath, and I came home and looked Sabbath up in the dictionary. A communist, atheistic dictionary, and it actually named Seventh-day Adventists as Sabbath Keepers. The Bible studies were followed by an evangelistic campaign. Soon I was convinced that the Seventh-day Adventist Church was the true church. When I saw how many young people gave their hearts to Jesus, my heart was touched too, and I decided to start a new life with Jesus. Eight months after my first Bible study with the Adventists, I was baptized. Young and not-so-young people still are searching for meaning in life. Your mission offerings help to provide ways for them to find answers. Thank you for giving. This testimony was adapted from a longer story written by Vojtech Pekarik, who studied at the Seventh-day Adventist Theological Seminary near Prague in the Czech Republic. And that brings us to the end of our lessons for 2016. And I've been thrilled to hear from so many of you who receive these lessons week by week, from virtually every part of the world. And uh, it gives me encouragement to continue with this ministry of reading the lessons for those who want to listen to it in the car, in bed, using it for learning English, but mainly for keeping in touch with what God's Word says about salvation. God bless you. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.